And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast at the end of a week that was really the coronation of Stephen Curry as the greatest three-point shooter of all time. We already knew he, he had that title, but now he owns it in the record books after breaking Ray Allen's record at the one and only Madison Square Garden. It was, frankly, a relief from the onslaught of new COVID cases that has the league and every other sports league reeling. I've lost track at this point of how many players are in the health and safety protocols, how many teams are facing outbreaks, and all you can do is cross your fingers and toes that all of these cases, or as many as possible, are asymptomatic. I've heard that most of them are, that everyone stays healthy, everyone stays safe, and you know, everyone's lives are as unaffected as possible by this. You know, There's been a lot of speculation about, will the league pause the season? Will the league take other drastic measures like maybe delaying the start of the postseason so, so they can fit makeup games uh, at the back end of the regular season? As of right now, 4 o'clock Pacific time on Thursday afternoon, I don't hear a lot of appetite for those kinds of solutions. What I hear is, barring something unforeseen, and by the way, the whole pandemic has been fairly unforeseen, uh, we're going to keep going, the league's going to keep going, postpone games as needed, and just sort of try to wriggle through it and all that. There is not a lot of appetite for extending the season into July or August or missing games and things like that. But again, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. All solutions are on the table when they need to be on the table, I guess. Um, but back to Curry, it really was a relief from an arduous week. We'll all remember where we were when he broke the record at MSG. The shot, the pass from Andrew Wiggins, all of that. Even if it was a little anticlimactic, like we've been talking about this for, for a month, he's going to blow away the record by so many three-pointers, it's ridiculous. Um, by the way, we did rank on NBA Today, we ranked that shot the most memorable Curry three-pointer, with which I vehemently disagree. The only answer is the one in Oklahoma City, the double bang from Mike Breen, the half-court, almost half-court game winner. That's a flashbulb NBA moment. That's a, you remember exactly where you were when that shot happened. I was on my couch and I jumped off my couch in New York City mid-shot because it was just so audacious that any human being would take this shot with three or four seconds left on the shot clock. But from that game at MSG, there's another little play that I'll always remember. It's, It's a nerdy little play, but hey, I'm a nerd. Last possession of the third quarter, the Warriors have the ball with like 20 seconds left. Steph's dribbling way up at the top of the arc. What do the Knicks do? They double-team They just send two defenders flying at him. Where anyone but you, Steph. Steph passes the ball to Andre Iguodala on the right wing. There's like 10, 12 seconds left. Plenty of time. Defense resets. There's one guy on Steph, one guy on Andre. Double-team's gone. In that moment, every other top 15 ball handler in NBA history, and that's what Steph is, asks for and gets the ball back. Even if they know another double team is coming, I might waste time navigating that double team. Maybe it's not the smart play. They all get it back. That's just what they do. Steph didn't do that. What did he do instead? He ran and set a pick for Iguodala. Steph Curry set a pick for Andre Iguodala. Iguodala drove left around that pick and like thousands of defenders on thousands of Curry screens before that one, Curry's guy did not help on Iguodala's drive. He stuck to Curry like glue because that's what you have to do with the greatest shooter of all time. Iguodala sailed in clear for a layup, got fouled, hit both free throws. Boom, two free points from a Curry screen. Curry is 6'2". That's short for top 15 standards. He's skinny. Doesn't look like most NBA immortals. That's been a big part of his mainstream appeal. His massive mainstream appeal. People see themselves in Curry in the most basic physical sense. Downside. It has also made it a little hard for some people to properly contextualize Curry and his greatness, his individual greatness. We're not very good at watching what happens away from the ball. We're just not trained to do that. 
Our, our brains don't think like that. We're not good at watching things like picks. What we are used to in basketball history is two different types of superstars. You have your apex wings, your apex predator wings, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 Durant. Well, Durant's not even a wing. He's a 7-foot Durant. LeBron, Kawhi, Jordan. These guys get the ball at the triple threat position. They look over the defense. They can shoot over their own guys. They can fade over their own guys. They literally, when they stand up tall and hold the ball, they look like they're lording over their dominion. Then you have your low post centers, your Shaqs, your Olajuwans, even Wilt back in the day. You give them a ball down low, they either draw a double team or they shoot and score. That's it. That's controlling the action. That's how the greatest players before Curry and every great player really other than Curry, most of them anyway, with some exceptions like a Magic Johnson or an Oscar Robertson or a Jerry West, that's how they sort of exercise their dominion over an entire game, bent an entire game to their will. Curry doesn't play like that. And that's been part of the difficulty, I think, in assessing exactly what his plays in history should be. He's actually been a really good, efficient isolation scorer. It's just not something he has done that much. Some of that is by choice, his choice, Steve Kerr's choice. Some is probably just basic physical realities. It's not easy for a 6'2 guy to score one-on-one if you put Kawhi Leonard on him or LeBron on him or whatever big win you have on your team, which is what every playoff defense is going to try to do. Even though... He's such a great shooter. You have to press Curry basically everywhere beyond half court, and that makes it easy for him to drive by you and all that. It's just not the way he's played. It's not the way he's built to play. Steve Kerr and I once talked about Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals, which you know no team scored for like four straight minutes. The Warriors' offense sort of ground to a halt. The Cavs switched everything, and the Warriors couldn't get a good shot. And, and he talked about it in the context of the Warriors signing Kevin Durant. And what he told me was, quote, Durant gets us shots we didn't used to be able to get. At the end of those 2016 finals, we couldn't get a good shot. Last year, he's talking about a year with Durant, we could get almost any shot we wanted. And really, like you cannot overstate the degree to which the Durant signing in Golden State was just an absolute seismic event. It was an earthquake. The league is really still recovering from it. It changed everything, including how we perceive Steph Curry. But anyway, what all these top 15 guys really do when it comes down to it is either score or draw two defenders onto them, draw double teams. Steph just does that in a way we've never really seen. He does it a lot on the pick and roll, which of course we have seen. We all know what the Steph Draymond pick and roll can do. It's magic. The unspoken chemistry those two have, that's a dream. That's why we watch sports, to see something special like that evolve over time. Two geniuses with complementary skill sets coming together by chance. A lottery pick who should have gone number one and a second rounder. I mean, come on. That's awesome. Curry broke basic NBA pick and roll defense. Just broke it. No one had ever taken so many off the dribble threes. No one had ever dreamed anyone could hit almost half of those kinds of attempts. In the 2013 playoffs, which is really when the Warriors kind of made their mark, I called Curry a glitch in the system. That was this postseason coming out party, the moment the entire league realized, uh-oh, this dude is a problem on the biggest stages against the best defense. He's not just a regular season carnival. That really crystallized against the Spurs in the second round. The Spurs tried to play traditional drop-back defense against Curry, and he absolutely tore them apart. You could see the Spurs realizing in real time, whoa, whoa boy, this is something new. We weren't really prepared for this. What What is this that we're facing? The Warriors might have won that series had Curry and Andrew Bogut not gotten hurt. They also blew an enormous lead in Game 1 or Game 2. I can't remember off the top of my head. Those Spurs, the Spurs that just squeaked by the Warriors in six games, really, an injury-riddled Warriors team, they went on to come within a Ray Allen shot of winning the championship. I also think back a lot to the last few minutes of Game 6 of the 2019 Finals against the Raptors, Warriors-Raptors. 
after Klay Thompson had tore his ACL. Kevin Durant, of course, was already hurt. Curry was playing crunch time with a lineup. This is a real lineup that they were playing down the stretch of an elimination game in the finals. Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, and either Boogie Cousins or Kevon Looney. That is literally Steph Curry and four bad shooters. The Raptors were using a box and one against them, and there Curry was running around screens, running all over the floor, dragging three Raptors with him. Not just two. You watch the tape. Three Raptors with him wherever he went, just setting picks, cutting around. Sometimes he never even touched the ball. And all the attention that he drew, all the screens he set that ended up with two and three guys chasing him, they allowed all those non-shooters to just kind of like pity-pat the ball around in the paint until one of them had a layup or got fouled or something. It was incredible. The secret sauce of the Warriors with Curry has always been for all the attention that the three-pointers get, the splash burners and all that, for all the focus on the defense and how great it's been. The secret sauce of their offense is they get a ton of shots at the rim because of how much attention Curry draws away from the rim. By the way, that even started happening on fast breaks in like 2015, 2016. Curry would run the wing on fast breaks and like three defenders would chase him. He didn't even have the ball. Three defenders would chase him even though they knew doing that might concede a layup to someone who just sort of runs down the middle like, oh, no one's guarding me because they're all guarding Curry. Boom, dunk. It's a form of dominance that just didn't look like traditional basketball dominance. Even in the way we read and perceive the game, Curry is a glitch in the system. Fair or not, the following season, 2019-2020, was positioned as a referendum on Curry. Durant was gone to the Nets. Clay was hurt. D'Angelo Russell was on board. Draymond was healthy. LeBron, we said, could take any roster to 50 wins. Could Steph? Kind of forgot. The Durant thing made us forget what Steph had done before Durant got there. Curry broke his hand in the fourth game of that season. The Warriors were 1-3. and three. All of their losses were blowouts. We didn't get an answer because of the broken hand, but it didn't look great. Now... Curry has answered all the questions. It's over. The only question is how high he will ascend on the all-time player rankings. It's too early to go there now, but it's going to be really, really high. In his locker room speech at MSG, you can watch it on YouTube, Curry thanked, among many, quote, everybody who believes in the offense. I thought that was fitting. Golden State's offense is different than any other offense because Curry is different from any other number one option that ever came before him in the NBA. The Warriors system and Curry are inseparable. He is the system. The Warriors found a bunch of players this season who understand how to play that system, and they are flying again. And Klay Thompson isn't even back yet. Curry is going to put so much distance between himself and Ray Allen, it's a joke. There was no suspense in Curry getting the record. We were just waiting on the inevitable. But it was a fun excuse to celebrate a universally beloved player, an all-time teammate, the greatest shooter ever. Curry has a lot left to accomplish, but let's raise our glasses to the once and forever glitch in the system. Now let's bring in ESPN's Nick Friedel, who was at that game, to share some of his memories. All right, let's bring in one of my favorite guests, the best laugh at ESPN, always a positive presence, our Warriors reporter Nick Friedel, because you... Witness history the other night, Mr. Friedel, and I just want to get your memories on record on this podcast because we're not going to see that record broken for a long time, if ever. Steph Curry sets the all-time three-point record. How you doing, sir? I am great, buddy, and it was it was an awesome scene. I think it it hit me real early once we got down to the floor at the Garden. It's two hours before the game even starts, and I turn, and there's Spike in his seat just soaking it all in, waiting for the warm-ups to get rolling and waiting for Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, everybody to get down on 
on the floor and and start hanging out and and talking about what's happening. So out of all the the different events, especially in the regular season, it was it was a very fun atmosphere. And then he did it and he broke the record and it felt like the Warriors had won like a playoff series because they're wearing the the hats and the t-shirts and they're celebrating a real huge basketball milestone. I like the hats, by the way. I like the and still counting uh, mm-hmm. in, in the script. I like the extra hats laying around. I would pay good. I would pay a nice, a, a nice piece of change for one of those hats. I'm sure there. I'm sure Ray Ritter can find you uh, a, a hat somewhere. But uh, there, there was there was uh, kind of half and half. Half of the people had hats. Half of the people had t-shirts. But you didn't see anybody else <laughs> wearing them. So uh, there's. I'm sure there's a box somewhere though. So you can't go in the locker room. I know going to Knicks games that MSG is, um, how can I say this? Maybe the, they're mo- they are the most COVID aware in terms of how they uh, treat the media there. So you're not going to get a lot of time on the court pregame. I assume you watched the game from up in their chase whatever section, which is a good seats, but it's far from the court. So what memories could you create given those circumstances? Obviously, you get there early, you see Spike. But when you think back at being able to witness this night, what are some of the scenes, despite those limitations, that you are going to remember? The big one to me was sitting as high up as as we do at the Garden. When Steph hit the first one, everybody went, all right, well, the second one's coming as soon as, as, soon as he can fire it off. And Zach, I grew up in Orlando watching the Shaq and Penny magic. And, and when I fell in love with the game was, was in the, the early to late nineties. And there was always that, that camera angle. And it was when Larry Johnson hit that shot, the four point play and the garden exploded. And there was that shot of everybody standing up and going crazy. The are you see that you see the arms go up in unison. It looks yes. like it looks like everyone has jumped at once, but everyone was, <laughs> but everybody was already standing. So it's it's a weird like it's a it's a cool. I know the shot. It's a great shot. And and in my mind, as Steph got ready, as he was getting ready to shoot the second one, and Wiggins made a nice pass, and Draymond was really pissed, <laughs> which should be noted that he didn't get to make the pass because then he's telling us that Wiggs never passes from that spot he's always trying to to get his own uh his own bucket but uh, Wiggins makes a nice pass and I had my camera up from where we were sitting and Steph hits the shot and you see Steph put his arms up and he was so ready for that moment and he had wanted it so bad and he had wanted it in the garden after he started off so poorly on that trip in Philly but what I'll remember is everybody almost in the garden is standing up and just going nuts right then. And as a a basketball fan in the early '90s and, and late '90s, when when that happened with uh, with with Larry Johnson, I had flashbacks instantly in my head to oh man, this is what that reminds me of. And it was for me a a, a cool time to think back to all the games I had watched uh, in in that place and and how many different times I had seen that type of celebration. Were there any friendly wagers in the media room? Did did you guys have a time? Did you guys? I would have organized a pool where everyone gets to pick a time or something, and you know throws in some. I, I, we can't gamble on this. Was there any fun, friendly, non gambling wagers on when he would do it? 
No, uh, I, our our friend Jessica Shobar, who's who's one of our producers out in uh, out in the Bay. Jess was trying to organize that for that Portland game, and it's funny in the context of of our conversation because. I think Steph was mad at himself, and Steve Kerr was definitely mad at himself for bringing up the idea that Steph was going to knock down 16 threes. We talked about that on NBA Today off-air yesterday. I still can't believe they did that, and they didn't no. do it in jest. No. If they had done it, it in were jest, dead serious. they were serious, and like just ver- just speaking that out into the world is going to—I just feel like it changed the tenor of the whole thing. Like, 16 threes. It's like, what are you talking? 16 threes? That's That's— I, it, maybe it'll happen someday, but I don't know if you want to just be like, I'm going to go, maybe I'll do it. And they were dead serious. And I, I think in in playing all that, that time back in the last week and a half or so, it was out of respect for Steph. It, it wasn't, nobody said it like, ah, uh, let's let's just put it out there and, and see what happens. It was a genuine feel that if anybody could make it happen, he could. And he definitely wanted to. But so we had a pool for that game. How many threes would he hit? What would it take? <laughs> and and uh, it didn't happen. And after that, everybody was kind of like, all right, it, it felt like Indy. But once he, he shot it so poorly in that Sixers game and they lost, and that part is huge because I, I think if they had won, there was a, a serious chance that he would sit and and break it in New York City but once they lost it was kind of like ah all right but then one he was missing the shots he was taking against the Pacers and two when you're watching that game and Jess actually pointed out to me he wasn't taking some of the shots we're used to seeing him take I mean he's going down to the rim and and running back around and he's not taking those threes so I think subconsciously not only was it a relief that that everybody was was trying to get him through this mark, but Steph got what he always wanted because what he wanted was if he couldn't break it at Chase in San Francisco, the place to do it at was New York City in the Garden. You covered the Bulls for a long time uh, as on the Bulls beat and then on the Bulls suck beat in the Midwest. Uh, you got to know Coach Tom Thibodeau uh, over the years. Did you get to talk to him, and do you think he cared about – do you think he cared about being the victim of this event? <laughs> he cares about everything, Zach. <laughs> we, we know this. I talked to him before the game for about three seconds, and you know he 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 just gave me a hard time, like he always does. But I think Tom appreciates basketball history. The thing that cracked me up watching from way up top and seeing the reaction. Tom is such a <laughs> a creature of habit, and. Everything got knocked off timing-wise because Looney takes the foul. The Warriors call timeout so Steph can celebrate. He's hugging Draymond and all his teammates and coaches. He goes and finds Dell. He hugs him, gives him the ball. He goes back to the bench. Then he sees Ray Allen, who's there. He hugs him. The, the garden is going crazy. And there's Tibbs sitting over there. You could just feel him like, let's get the – bleeping game to start again <laughs> like this was not normal in any way we talked about that play in the pregame <laughs> yeah why, why, why where's the hard close out <laughs> why I, I was just waiting for him to 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 get out there and be like are you kidding me this early 
By the way, uh, I've done I've done the ice ice impression a lot of Tibbs. You know what I hear him say almost more than ice now is actually when the Knicks are on offense and someone's handling the ball and he wants a player to go set a screen. Go get him! Go get him! Go get him! I'm starting to hear that in my nightmares. Go get him. Uh, anyway, here's a debate we had yesterday. Alec Burks, are you are you ashamed of being in the clip or are you secretly happy to be in the clip? As the defender who was closing out on Steph on the three-pointer that broke the record. I lean towards secretly happy because he did damn near everything he could do. Like so many other Steph threes, that was a tough shot. That was what was surprising in Indy because he was missing wide open clean looks. And, and in fairness to Malcolm Brogdon, Brogdon did a pretty good job. But the shots that he was getting, especially early in that game, he knocks down all the time. Burks came out. Tried to get in front of him. It didn't happen. But that shot, especially because it happened where it happened and everybody that was in attendance for it, it'll be replayed for a long, long time. So I think Burks will always have that to to show his family and say, hey, I was part of history. Here's how the debate went down. Richard Jefferson, you should be ashamed. It's a low light. Perk, secretly happy. Yours truly, no-brainer, secretly happy. I didn't make any mistakes. I did my job. I closed out. The greatest shooter ever made a three over me. I get to I get to be in that clip forever doing a pretty good job. I'm with you because it'd be one thing if, if Tibbs was screaming at him after he, he came back to the vents and said, you know, what the, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? But uh, he did what he could, and then everybody – was around the floor and in that type of moment again in the regular season as much as we make fun of Tibbs and and all the the histrionics I think the players and coaches on both ends had an appreciation for what they were seeing because they knew what they were seeing Zach to to what you said in the beginning it's not going to be seen again for a long long time that's one of the biggest questions I've gotten in the last few days is somebody going to break this record I mean Maybe because all these kids coming up behind Steph are emulating him. Yeah, he Everybody, ruined basketball, Nick. He ruined basketball. All yeah. the kids want to do is take 35-foot threes. This guy ruined the game. Well, that, that was the part that was killing me. Before that Pacers game, we had to get to the arena hours early to start taping stuff. And at like 3 or 4 o'clock in Indianapolis, they had like a group of 9-year-old and 10-year-old boys and girls on the floor playing a game before the big game. Zach, I'm telling you, and you've seen this in high school and AAU, but even these little kids are running down the floor. They're stopping behind the NBA three-point line, and they are chucky. And you can put a direct line between Steph Curry and those moments because that's the guy that everybody wants to be. So there's no question that he's changed the game forever, for at least uh, for a long time, and there are going to be kids that that can shoot it uh, that way. I just don't think anybody's going to ever be able to shoot it as well as he does. What's the clay update? It feels more and more, and there was a hope that it, maybe he would return before Christmas. There's a chance it could be that, that game on the 28th against Denver, but it's feeling more and more when you talk to people within the Warriors, that it could be stretching into January. 
And I don't think that's a bad thing, certainly, because all they keep doing is just rattling off wins. I don't think they're playing that well in the last couple weeks. Yeah, you feel the need for another offensive player, another offensive threat in the last couple weeks. Part of that is we've now entered the doldrums of the season, right? The hot start is getting in the rear view. They're traveling a lot. They're on the road. But you do feel like... Wiggins has had a great, great season. Last five or six games has slowed down a little bit. Poole is so up and down. Looney and Draymond, they they might get you eight points combined. They might get you sixteen. They're not going to get you thirty. Uh, you start you start to feel a little bit like the load on Steph. Yeah, and that's the other thing to watch out for, not only in the next couple of weeks, but in in the next few months. Because Clay, whenever he returns, and it's still it's a matter of weeks. It's coming. Whether it's the end of December, the beginning of January, somewhere he'll be back. Wiseman the same, although that's probably the insane part of all this is Wiseman is going to end up probably coming back after Clay, which nobody would have thought a couple months ago. But the thing to watch for now is, and we saw it with Andre Godala, who missed like three weeks because he had a sore knee. They're going to start picking and choosing their their times to rest the Stephs and the Draymonds. And, and a perfect example is we're taping this on – on Thursday morning, they've got a back-to-back with Boston and Toronto coming up. I'd be stunned if, like, Steph and Draymond play in both ends of this back-to-back after playing both ends of the back-to-back in Philly and Indianapolis. They're just going to have to rest as much as possible and get everybody ready for what they feel like is going to be a long uh, stretch run, potential title run once the playoffs get rolling here. We'll see what the world actually allows for in terms of NBA basketball in the next month, two months. I mean, all these discussions are obviously clouded. But, Mr. Friedel, uh, you do a wonderful job covering the words. I have to say, your man on the street shots that we made you do in the New York winter, you got the scarf going, you got the old school black winter coat going. You look, you look like you're ready to give a weather report out there. I got to tell you, Jim, it's really blustery out here. Uh, the snow is the snow starting. <laughs> the, the, the mayor is saying that we you should stay off the roads. Uh, but uh, back to you. Uh, what what killed me when you were telling me that the other day is that I remember, and this is years ago, but Derek was coming back in Chicago. It was opening night. I think it was Halloween, and our old friend Max Bretas, he, he he's kicking it to me on Sports Center. And before we go on, he goes, "Is it snowing out there?" So I hadn't worn that coat, that scarf, in a long time because I'd been out in the bay, and now to to throw all that back on and <laughs> to see that uh, that that's just part of the daily routine out here is uh, is something. The, the, that is, I feel so bad for those reporters. Everyone focuses on the hurricane reporters, and they're out there, and like the wind is blowing their clothes. They can't even talk. It's really windy. You can see behind me the trees are blowing. The water is wavy. I that's one thing. When they make the reporters during a snowstorm step into the snow with a ruler oh, and be like, as oh. you can see, as you can see, Jim, it's up to my thigh. Uh, we're looking at twenty-four inches. Just say it's twenty-four inches. I don't yeah, need we can you to see dem- it. I don't need you to demonstrate by stepping into this. Anyway, Nick Friedel, uh, keep up the good work. <laughs> Get a couple more scarves, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. You got it, my man. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Join host Gotham Chopra as he explores what Tom Brady has meant to football and the world in Man in the Arena, a new podcast from ESPN Plus and Religion of Sports. A companion piece to Gotham's ESPN Plus docuseries, this 10-part podcast examines the improbable ripple effects of Brady's career. Things that have forced us to rethink everything we thought we knew about time, hatred, perfection, wow, even fate. The podcast is brought to you by State Farm, ZipRecruiter, and Rocket Mortgage. Listen and follow Man in the Arena now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stream the docuseries on ESPN+. Plus. All right, let's welcome in a special guest. I wanted to mix it up a little bit and have someone on that I've never had on before. So let me introduce... Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Crade Machine, Kevin O'Kembertator from The Ringer, my friend and colleague Kevin O'Connor with just an immaculate beard. How are you, sir? I'm doing great today, Zach. Uh, I'm excited to be on your pod. How are you doing out in L.A. right now? I'm good. I'm just uh, holing up in my hotel room. Uh, starting to get a little scary. Uh, mm. Obviously, the NBA has dozens and dozens of players and health and safety protocols, but I don't really want to talk about that. Uh, can we just pretend? Can we just move on and pre- talk about basketball? Yeah, that would be great. My phone's going off with Woj notifications, just one one protocol notification after another. Let's talk basketball, Zach. So I gave you an assignment. I wanted because I, I really this is just my way of saying I had no ideas. I have <laughs> talked about every team I really want to talk about, and I have didn't have any ideas. So I thought let's pick five players each who we kind of think of as X factors, swing factors, guys to watch for the last 40 or 50 games in the NBA season. I know how much you watch. I know you're on top of every team. You're watching the Orlando Magic and the Los Angeles Lakers in almost equal amounts. So you'd have good answers to these questions. And and I left it open-ended. Could be someone to swing a championship team. Could be someone to swing a team that's trying to get into the play-in tournament. Whatever you want. So we each picked five. I actually picked six because I picked a tandem. I cheated a little bit. I'm going to let you go first. Give me your give me one of your five. Well, when you gave this assignment after last uh, Wednesday night's games, I was thinking, is this just Zach's excuse to talk about Austin Reeves? <laughs> I no, I, I he's not on my list. Is he on He's not on my list, list either. Oh, okay, okay, good. Let's not talk about Austin Reeves. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll start off here with with Bradley Beal as an X factor. Yeah, uh, this NBA season. Washington starts out 10 and 3, Zach. They're 5-11 and 11 since with the number 24 offensive rating, the number 27 defensive rating. And he fits both criteria here in terms of, you know, a guy who we've talked about in trades. We've talked about him as an all-NBA guy. He's not playing like it, though. 
His falls, falls drawn are way down. He's shooting only 27% from three. Defensively, he has not been everything that team needs. The fit with Spencer Dinwiddie, which you wrote about recently, has not been all the way there. Dinwiddie's struggling a bit. So you can look at Washington in two ways. You can say they're 5-11 and 11 after their 10-3 start. If Bradley Beal gets back to becoming the all-NBA 30-point-per-game guy we saw in recent years, that puts them back on track. Or you could say, if you're Tommy Shepard in that Wizards front office, is Bradley Beal, you know, everybody's talking about him. If he's going to want out, he can become a free agent in July. But the flip side of that is, is if you're Tommy Shepard, are you going to want to give Bradley Beal, has he shown enough to be a $50 million Supermax player? Could the Wizards themselves decide, you know what, maybe it's better to go towards a rebuild, retooling route here. And so... I think whether it's Beal getting back on track as an all-NBA guy or the Wizards deciding, you know what, with just a couple months to go, we don't want to enter a Kemba Walker situation where he wants the Supermax and we don't want to give that to him. Let's pull the plug now. He, he to me, is still the X factor of the season, even though it hasn't been talked about as much recently. Dinwiddie was on my short list. Not one of my final five, but on my short list. As you said, he he and Bradley Beal – Bradley Beal's been playing a little better lately, but the three-point yeah. shooting hasn't come. Dinwiddie – I'm just going to chalk it up to was off for a long time because of his ACL injury, but he's not getting to the rim. He's not getting to the line. Like there are just way too many, like two of six, eight point games. And this team cannot withstand that. You nailed it. KOC. Um, can I call you KOC? Am I allowed? Are non-ringer people me? allowed to call you KOC? You can call me whatever you want. Is that KOC? Kev? Kevin? It's all good. Kevin, Kevin O'Kem Burchader. Um, you <laughs> nailed it because the Wizards like seven games ago, I was thinking, well, this team is like, you know, 14 deep and good NBA players. Depth is their strength. They haven't even seen still Hachimura yet this year. Um, I, I thought, I wonder if they're maybe a candidate for some kind of consolidation trade. I don't know where or how that would be. Now, 15 and 14, they're ne- you want to hear their next like 10 games? At Phoenix, at Utah, at Brooklyn, at Knicks, Philly, at Miami, Cleveland, Chicago, Charlotte. Their schedule is about hmm. to get hellacious. Man. The playoff, the playoff probability sites have them like really, really low chance to get into the playoffs. I, I wonder if they will be. And, and Bradley Beal went on Chris Haynes, our friend Chris Haynes' podcast, and said, "I'm not in a rush. I'm not in a rush to sign any kind of extension." This is one that could get interesting. What are your favorite Bradley Beal destinations? I feel like we've had the Bradley Beal destinations conversation for two years, but that's kind of interesting because the destinations like ebb and flow, like Denver was a hot one a couple years ago, not so much anymore. Yeah, I mean, I still think it's some of the usual suspects. You can still say Golden State. You can say Boston because of his long, long-term long relationship with Tatum. They've been friends since they were teenagers. I mean, some of the usual suspects there. I mean, I've been thinking about are there any of those teams that we weren't talking about during this last wave of the conversation? Is there a, a Memphis? You know, they got that Morant-Bain backcourt. Is a Beal for that situation appealing? I'm just trying to think outside the box. Is it like a – could it even a team that isn't – really in championship contention right now go for it like a Toronto saying you know what we're going to get this guy in his late 20s right now and turn him into this guy into a better player with different surrounding pieces more defense more versatility I I, I mean I'm just thinking outside the box here with some other teams there Zach but like is there anybody that stands out to you not really I mean you didn't mention Philly that's obviously been one of the Daryl Morey dream scenarios for a while I don't know how much sense that makes you mentioned the Boston one in your construct, I, I think Boston's 500. They just had their best win of the season against the Bucks. They play the Warriors, I think, tomorrow night. Brutal December schedule for them, too. In your Boston Bradley Beal fantasy 
concoctions. Are they keeping Jalen Brown or trading Jalen Brown? I mean, in the Boston fantasy, they're keeping Jalen Brown. In the Washington fantasy, they're getting Jalen Brown. Uh, I mean, for Boston, I'm not sure they have enough pieces without the inclusion of a guy like that. But I'm not so sure that you do that. And even for the Celtics, does Bradley Beal even answer your problems? Yeah, I'm, I was going to ask you, everyone, this is a popular trade that gets pitched. Maybe I'm missing something. And I had Bradley Beal on my All-NBA team last year and two years before that. I don't really know why the Celtics would trade Jalen Brown for Bradley Beal. Like, I, what 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 purpose is that serving me? Why is Beal plus Tatum getting me further than Brown plus Tatum? Then you throw in age plus contracts. I'm like, I don't I don't really get why that's a thing. It, it's it's kind of odd. Like even even with Dame, some of the big name players, it's hard to find some great fits that make a lot of sense. So many teams just are loaded at point guard, especially, but guard in general right now. Um, with the contracts, you need contracts to make it work, and you need the need. And there's just not a lot of teams that stand out as as targets for a guy like that, which is why with Washington, I mean, I, I talked to Beal for a wizard story before the season, and I, I said to him, you know, I, I said to him, I think you, you could work better with Spencer Dinwiddie than with Russell Westbrook. And he's like, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I expected him to give a PC, you know, politically correct answer. Uh, Brad saying, tells, yeah, tells it like it is. He does. He does. And, I mean, he's like, I mean, we'll see. we got to prove ourselves. We have a whole new group of guys. And one of the things we got into was, like you said, Zach, the idea of them being now a team that's adding. But if you're Washington and you're Tommy Shepard and you're looking at the league's landscape right now, who, who is that guy out there for Washington to even target and consolidate pieces? I, I don't know, even know if it exists. By the way, you said the the D word, Dame. Um, he was not on my list because it's too obvious. We've yeah. just been nonstop talking about Dame. I will say I was talking to an agent yesterday, and I just sort of posed the question. At what point is this not a slump and something to actually start worrying about? Or at, And more to the point, at what point are some of the teams that have been circling Dame going to start worrying that this is not a slump, that this is something more? And the response was, Oh, now the point, the point yeah. is now where now. you have to start having that conversation and where some of these teams are potentially having that conversation. I think, I think Philly less so than some other teams. Cause they're, they're just in such win immediately mode that if Dame does decline in two or three years, they can swallow that at, for the price of, you know, getting better. Now. I just think that's interesting. Um, pick another player. I'm just going to keep letting you go pick another player on your list. My list, is boring. my list is boring and nerdy. You're leading off with like big guns blazing, well, like Bradley Beal's coming out. I, I get some deep cuts in there. Let's go with another a big big name player, or at least on a big name team, because I like what you said on NBA Today the other day, Zach, about Nikola Jokic. So how about Jamal Murray as one of the X Factors of the season? Returns Ooh. in in or after February, you get a 24-year-old all-star caliber talent rejoining last year's MVP, Jokic, who... Having, like you said, Zach, you said it on TV the other day, having another historic season, you rightfully argued with that with Perk and RJ. I, I, I mean, like, it's not that Denver's necessarily going to become a finals contender with Murray. They have a lot of other missing pieces, still no Michael Porter Jr., but I think with the way Jokic is playing this season, an absolute dominant force, better than his MVP season last year. I mean, they're at least in a position to make another deep run, and if you're, you're making another deep run, you never know what can happen. So, I mean, I think Jamal Murray is pretty clearly one of the X factors of the season. It's interesting because Denver is 14 and 14. They're tied with Dallas for seventh in the West. The West is so bad 
that the Memphis Grizzlies, who are 18 and 11, and I think 10 and 1 without Ja, 9 and 1 without Ja, they're fourth in the West, like with a bullet. They have a nice cushion over fifth and sixth in the West. Those are the LA teams. Like, it's not, it, unless the Lakers really get rolling, and maybe this little kind of three out of four against all bad teams would still run that they're on is when they're going to start to get rolling a little bit. Um, like, out of the play-in is not a high bar, and if Denver were to somehow get healthy, other than Michael Porter Jr., who we think is done for the season, and get out of the play-in with Jamal Murray, that's kind of interesting. You know he's having a sneaky good season, by the way? People have stopped talking about him because the Nuggets are now just mediocre. Aaron Gordon has had a really oh, yeah. nice season for them. He's, his numbers in the post are crazy. He's like hunting post-up against, post-ups against guards. His defense is as good as ever. His chemistry with Jokic is fantastic. He... He fits really well there, and this all just makes me sad because they were my finals pick last year after they got Aaron Gordon. I was ready to pull the trigger on maybe even a Nuggets win the title um, pick, and they're they're awesome, but they're just too limited right now. I don't and Murray, I just didn't really think of him because he's either going to come back and be good, or he's not going to come back, or he's going to become come back and be just okay. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, look, I don't need to tell you what beautiful music those guys, those two guys make on the pick and roll, Jamal and and Jokic. Were you surprised by the reaction to your Jokic rant, Zach? I didn't see what was the reaction other than Perk well, and RJ laughing at me, yeah, as if yeah. I was as if I was nominating um, uh, Nikola Vucevic for MVP. But apologies <laughs> to Vuce, he's a fine well, that's player. What I, mean. but they, they, I I just think there's this idea that you can't win MVP if your team is a game over 500 or two games over 500. And I'm generally like kind of pro that idea. Like I don't mind that. Um, Right now, I, I, if, if you ask me to pick between Curry and Durant, which was the nominal point of that segment, which I then hijacked and turned into something else, <laughs> I probably would just pick Curry and use the standings as a tiebreaker because how am I supposed to split hairs between these two guys? But I, I just, given all of their injuries, given what the numbers are, I, I just – I. They they were yelling at me, and I love RJ and Perk, by the way. I, I hope that came across uh, on They're that great. clip. I love those guys um, as people and as colleagues. At one point, I was throwing out the numbers, and they were like, I don't want to hear about the numbers. I just want to hear about the numbers. I said, well, if the only number I can use is wins, if that's the only number that you're allowing me to use for the MVP debate, then what are we even doing? Let's just look at the standings and award the MVP. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think you nailed it in that segment, Zach. I mean, Jokic is the same offensive guy he was last year without the same pieces. I mean, he's doing this without Michael Porter, without Jamal Murray, without other guys. And you mentioned the chemistry that he's developed with Aaron Gordon. That's what Jokic does. He just lifts everybody around him. That's why they're, I believe, a plus 16 net rating with Jokic on the floor and a minus 14 with him I mean, off that's, the court. Si- those, those numbers are like, are you kidding me? They're basically, they're basically the Charlotte Creamsicle 7-59 and 59 team. <laughs> Without Jokic and the 96 Bulls with Jokic. I mean, that's, ba- that's basically what's going on. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, 
Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Give me a deep cut. Unless you have more Jamal Murray stuff. Give me, give me one of your deep cuts and then I'll give you one of my guys. How about Larry Nance Jr. with the Portland Trailblazers? Is that a deep cut, Zach? Does that count? It's a, it's a mid, it's, it's like, I might need just a couple of stitches. I don't need, I don't need a full on like operation, just a couple of stitches to sew me up. What I, I am look, CJ's hurt. Dame just came back a few games ago. I, I watched their game against Memphis last night. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, Pacific time. And I just came to the conclusion sometime halfway through the fourth quarter. I'm just I'm bored with the Blazers. I'm tired of the Blazers. I'm just I actively dislike watching the Blazers. But please sell me on Larry Nance, who I, who I like a lot. Yeah, I mean I like Larry Nance Jr. a lot too. I feel like he's incredibly underutilized by Chauncey Billups. When that deal first happened over the offseason, I'm expecting to see dribble handoffs, pick and roll actions with Larry Nance, giving Damian Lillard an outlet. But he's only screening for Dame 4.4 times per game according to Second Spectrum. Covington does it more. 4.5 times per game. Nurkic is near the top of the league at 19 times. I just think if you're having a guy like Larry Nance Jr. who has his versatility to pick and pop, to short roll playmake, to catch lobs, he's the type of weapon, as you said earlier in our conversation here, Zach, like I'm, I'm worried about Dame right now. I am worried that abdomen injury seems to be real. I mean, the time he took off did not help him. He's still scoring inefficiently. He's scoring at a career worst rate from inside the restricted area in, I believe, the last eight years. So maybe having, you know, switching things up a little bit and having somebody who provides some versatility in the pick and roll could help create some easier chances for Damian Lillard. And if not, I mean, like right now, at least in the conversations I've been having, the trade deadline feels, I mean, the, uh, the trade market feels a little quiet. Um, but executives from other teams I've talked to are like, what is Billups doing with Nance? Is he somebody that you're hearing could be acquirable? You know, cause Covington's name is out there. CJ's name is obviously out there. And I haven't heard anything specific about Nance, but he is one of those guys that I, like you're talking about Aaron Gordon, what he provides to Denver. Nance could do that for a team too. He has a lot of the same skills. So uh, I think Nance is one of those guys I'd be wanting to get from Portland if they're willing to trade and, and shake it up there. 100% agree. You know, last week I had Pelton on and we were going through the future of the Blazers and I was looking at exploring the trade market for both McCollum and, and Nurkic individually and together because it, it's it's not great. And as you go through these trades and you imagine what partners make sense and this and that, it immediately becomes clear that those teams should be trying to get Nance because or I just because of the way the value equation works I feel like I'm not quite getting enough for the players I'm sending out for CJ or Nurk or both I'd want Nance because of the contract because of his his versatility offensively and defensively I, I 100% teams are going to be asking for it. it just it just makes it just makes sense but they are just yeah I just they just demoted Covington to the bench they're starting Nance at the four and I'm just like I'm not that interested in Larry Nance stretch four with Nurkic it's it's just 
they just seem so like sludgy to me. I don't know. The Blazers just seem yeah. stuck in the mud a little the, bit. They're 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 a tough watch right now. And Covington going to the bench. I mean, Olshay gets him last year, and he's touted as some stopper. But Covington is a great off ball defender. On ball, Blazers fans have found out that dude can't move his feet. He can't stop anybody. And I mean, like I feel like they've just been sold, you know. A, a rotten roster right here that needs a lot of fixing by Olshay. And the biggest mistake ultimately was letting him build it over the off season. They could have made the change before the summer began and had somebody else build this instead of sticking with what they had. Yeah, it's not going well. I thought their team would be better than this before the season. Obviously, the health they, they've had a lot of health issues. And Simons has had a good year for them. And Little has had a good year for them. Those are nice, positive things. But it's not meshing to the degree that, that I anticipated it would. I thought they'd be somewhere between 6th and 8th or ninth in the West, and maybe they'll still get there. But uh, I'm going to give you one. You ready? I'm ready. De'Aaron Fox. Ooh, I like it. 21-5-4 on 46% shooting, 51% on twos, 26% on threes. Here's a number. I'm going to give you a number. You tell me if you care about this number. The Kings, who, shocker, Kevin, be prepared for this are horrible on defense. I know you didn't see that coming. You thought this was going to be a top five juggernaut before the season. They're horrible on defense. With Fox on the floor, the Kings allow 116.5 points per 100 possessions. Fox off the floor, 98 points allowed per 100 possessions. Wow. Does that number mean anything to you? Obviously, we all know defensive numbers are a little murky none of it's obviously not all because of De'Aaron Fox that there's this on off gap but I just put it to you what what is your reaction when you hear that I mean my initial thought is 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 that the three guard lineup that could be the cause of that uh, I'm wondering about which combinations are most effective in that backcourt because um, you also have Buddy Heald in there too it's not just you know Mitchell Halliburton and Fox it's also Heald too uh, there's some weaknesses in that backcourt with their defenders I think Halliburton Mitchell even despite how young those guys are is probably your best defensive backcourt out of all the combinations you can put together and the number does mean something to me because the concern with this team before the season, even after they took right after they took Mitchell, is well, how is this three guard lineup going to work? Is one of these guys going to get forced out? And Davion Mitchell, it would be amazing if he every night were shining on offense, and and Monte McNair in that front office could easily say, okay, well, we can have Fox as a trade piece, um, but that hasn't happened necessarily. It's just been occasional flashes, but. I still look at that Kings roster and think they're going to have to break that up at some point. And, and that number is definitely interesting in terms of how it might highlight that three-guard lineup and the weaknesses it has stopping guys. Yeah, and they, they have used Mitchell as sort of uh, a, a bulwark against playing Fox, Heald, and Halliburton all together. He kind of splits them up so that not, those three don't play all that much together. Although that lineup, Fox, Halliburton, Heald, Barnes, Holmes, was a really good lineup last season. Hasn't played so much this season. I just... I really like De'Aaron Fox. I think he's a good player. He's super engaging to talk to. The speed is unquestionable. He has quietly become a very good mid-range shooter. I th- he takes too many of his shots from there more than you'd like in, in, in a lead guard. Like half his shots are mid-range, but he shoots them well. He can clearly score. His playmaking and his defense to me, I just thought that they would have developed more by now. He's just an he's a okay to good playmaker defensively. I mean, I hate to say it because playing point guard is hard. Like, John Maranza is not a good defensive player right now, but I just watched De'Aaron Fox, upright stance, arms at his sides, getting blown by all the time, running into picks, and I'm like, 
you just got to set a better tone than that for for as as the guy on the team. I'm I'm uh, sorry to say it. Uh, I'm with you, Zach, completely. I mean, that's the difference between Ja and De'Aaron Fox. Ja sets that tone. Even if the defensive impact isn't always there, the tone is, the effort is there. And and with Fox, it isn't. And, and to add on to the, the lineup that you mentioned, I pulled this up on pbpstats.com. The combination of Fox, Mitchell, and Heald, that is a minus 13 net rating with Halliburton off the court. With Mitchell, Heald, and Halliburton on the court without Fox – that is when they're a plus nine with the 98 defensive rating that you mentioned. So looking a little bit deeper at the lineups with Fox on, Fox off, that Mitchell-Heald-Halliburton combination has been really, really good for Sacramento. It's been when it's Fox-Mitchell-Heald that they've really struggled. Those are both with samples over 200 minutes, so still early season, relatively small samples, but we're not talking about like 25 minutes here. We're talking 200-plus. And in the game, in their li- they beat somebody last night. I can't remember who. Um, they had they started Mitchell for the first time all year. They started Fox, Wizards Mitchell, Halliburton, night. huh? Wizards last night. Wizards. Oh, they beat the Wiz. But a big loss for the Wiz. Actually, we just read off all the opponents the Wiz have coming up. Like that could have yeah. they needed that game. Fox, Mitchell, Halliburton, Barnes, and I think they started Len because Holmes is still not healthy. Um, the Fox, Mitchell, Halliburton, Barnes quartet is minus thirty three in forty five minutes for the season. Mm. So I just feel like the, I, you know, look and through it all. The Kings, the pukey on the court Kings, are 10th in the West. Still, they're in the play-in tournament, and you know they will hang a banner if they make the play-in tournament. They are hell or high water, but I – I look, I, I know what's been reported and all that. I, I just think they're a team to watch at the trade deadline, and almost literally nothing would surprise me. I, I just – I took – this is just me, my opinion, not reporting this. I just don't think anyone on this roster is untouchable, period. I don't care really what's been put out there publicly. I just don't think anyone's untouchable. Are they one of those teams with a ownership mandate to make the playoffs? So, like, you know, nothing would surprise us in terms of who could get traded. But my impression is that, like, they need, they, they are told to make the playoffs. So it's moves that are with the intentions of adding. Yes, that's, that's what's interesting about them. If if indeed they are open for business, and again that's just my speculation. Um, I mean they're open to business to some degree. Every team is. Uh, I, I think it would be in a win now or shuffle the deck chairs kind of direction, not a players for picks kind of kind of direction. They could um, be a Sabonis or Simmons team. They could do anything. I mean, what's yeah. what's stopping you from what's stopping? They're they're an obvious Simmons team. Whether they're the team getting Simmons or whether another team gets Simmons and they participate as the third team, they obviously are an obvious team to butt into that trade. They could do anything. I mean, why? Are, what what are you? What as Elaine Bennis once said, "What, what am I clinging to?" You know, I'm, a, I'm at a cock <laughs> I'm at a cockfight at 3 a.m. What am I clinging to? Um, uh, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a deep cut. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. This is this is full on just nerddom, crazy. People are gonna laugh at me that this is one of my five players, Nicholas Claxton. Oh, dude, I have him on my list, Zach. I no, have you him. Don't. I just I do. I do have him on my list. He's the fourth think, one I on my list. I think that actually. I think that actually makes it more embarrassing. <laughs> no, I think, it's I think not. that makes it worse. They need right, him, so Zach. You- they so need you him. Can make, so you can make the case for me. Pretend that you pretend you you did make the pick. That you make the embarrassing Nicholas Claxton case instead of me. All right. So Steve Nash is always talking all the time about how his conditioning needs to get better. You know, he's been hurt. Um, this year, he's very, 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 very important for that team because Blake Griffin has not looked like the same guy. They needed Blake Griffin in that postseason series against the Bucks last year. 
this year that could be Nick Claxton's responsibility. And Claxton, he's one of the most switchable defenders in the NBA. He was dominant on switches last season for Brooklyn. He's been very good this year despite missing some time. The numbers numbers on second spectrum are he was the number one most – most frequent switch defender in the league last year and they allowed like some incredibly minuscule number of points per possession when they switched with him and he's he's not switching as frequently this year but the numbers are even even lower uh so continue your claxton uh dissertation yeah i mean i just think a guy like him the the only real flaw for him has been availability he hasn't been able to effectively maintain his production into the 25th or 30th minute all the time. There's some fatigue issues there. But with Claxton, uh, just to add on to your switching stats there, Zach, from last season, he was switching – the Nets were switching 24 times per game. And when – that's involving Claxton. And when they switched, they only allowed .9 points per chance. This is last season. And Claxton is one of those guys who did it on a per possession basis, like an outlier amount compared to anybody. 24 times per 100 possessions allowed only 0.8 points per switch. And this, you know, pull up the video, forget the numbers for a second. He is so effective moving his feet against quicker guards. No, Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't look hard. It doesn't look hard for him. There are some bigs who are pretty good at switching, but it still looks like it's, they're like, it's teetering on the edge of disaster at all times, and they're only good at it because they're so long they can challenge Positional. shots from behind. Yeah, he's he's like he's like you come at me. He's like Evan Mobley yes. level almost. Come at me. Uh, update, Mister O'Connor. One of our players, not the update you wanted. Uh, De'Aaron Fox has entered the health and safety protocols oh according God. to the Athletics. So add that to the list of uh, excuse my language. That is how many has it been today, moment. Zach? I mean, it's three thirty. Pacific right now we I feel like my phone's buzzed 30 times and, and no trades no no reports just all COVID stuff all day and I'll tell you this I checked in with all the right people I, I don't know what you've heard I don't think there are plans to stop the season no. right now I, I think they're gonna keep going they've built in you know some off days for postponement makeups if if need be i, I don't think they want to stop the season and i don't think they want to delay the postseason to, to add to add room at the back end of the regular season schedule but anyway get well to all these guys stay safe what else can you say at this point it's been two years almost of this of this stuff um and it's a little depressing what were we talking about nick claxton yeah, nick, nick claxton nick, nick claxton is a happy happy guy to talk about zach so let me ask you this if we're envisioning a role for nick claxton and but it is important to note that he got he, he I don't know if he got played out of the rotation or Steve Nash did not trust his offense enough but he he barely played in the last three games of the Bucks series last year yeah. due to his off I mean Steve Nash is going to err often on the side of shooting and offense that's his DNA and non shooters are troubling to him so if but we agree that Claxton potentially because of his defense because of his lob chemistry with Harden and all of that ha- has a chance to swing this team can you play him alongside any of the other Nets big men when it counts? Or is this a scenario where it's Kyrie Irving or Patty Mills, Joe Harris, James Harden, Durant, Claxton? That's the lineup we're envisioning. Yeah, I, I think for the most part, that's probably what it is, Zach. Uh, with Nick Claxton, he when he was in college at Georgia, he shot a handful of threes per game, somewhere around 30%. It just hasn't gotten better from then. I, w- I would say offensively, he hasn't gotten much better at all, period. Since then, he's gotten stronger, which helps him finishing inside. But the hand, I mean, he pretty much played point guard 
for Georgia at times his second season there. Um, it, it just hasn't manifested for him in the NBA in the way that would allow him to play next to it, a LaMarcus Aldridge for heavy minutes. So I think with him, you're talking about Claxton as more of your five, unless you're talking about him as a trade piece. Only 22 years old, restricted free agent. Brooklyn doesn't have a lot of other assets they could put on the table. If Brooklyn needs to shake things up or they want to shake things up, Claxton seems like the guy who makes a lot of sense to be on the move, doesn't he? That is another reason he's on my list. I mentioned it a few episodes ago that I would expect it. And it was right before Thanksgiving. I'd expect the Nets to be active um, depending on what happens with the Kyrie situation. And Claxton is the obvious candidate for all the reasons you just said. But, you know, just even he was out for a non-COVID illness for a long time. Even in his – I think he's played 10 games this year. He looks good. And they just – they feel different when he's on the floor, more athletic, more dangerous, just different. And again, it, uh, in the Toronto game the other day when they played with half the, all their young guys um, and so many guys were out, he is a st- small little thing. He caught a pass from some, probably Durant on the pick and roll in the lane, and the help defense was there. And he, in one motion, caught it, spun off the defender, and hit a little lefty floater. I'm like, man, if he can give you enough, yeah. if he can give you just enough stuff in traffic, like it's not a disaster when he catches the ball and it's something besides a lob, that 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 piques my interest a little bit. I mean, the, the Nets, I think there's a potential here that if they were to move Claxton, it could be a mistake. There's a chance of that. I mean, because those little flashes at only 22 years old, you're in total win now mode. Um, but the fact is, is that he's like you said, Zach. They seem dangerous. His his switchability on defense, his ability, his potential ability on offense to be one of those versatile weapons. I, I still like. I would I would encourage you to look at some video of him at Georgia. He could pass a bit. I mean, he ran point at times for that team, and that ability just hasn't needed to be there for Brooklyn at all through his first three seasons. He only has five assists on the season right now. He doesn't need to pass off, and he doesn't get those opportunities, but I think that skill is somewhere inside just waiting to be unlocked, and maybe it won't happen for two or three years, and maybe it won't happen on Brooklyn, but uh, I think Claxton is one of the more underrated guys in the league that's you know not playing heavy minutes. I will say I, I like I think both the Nets and Clippers have done a really nice job after trading away so many draft assets for Harden and Paul George slash Kawhi Leonard respectively of sneaking back into the draft for like second round picks targeted bites at the Jason Preston's Brandon Boston's the sharp kid in Brooklyn Cam Thomas like they've done a nice job oh, yeah. taking shots. At like we know we don't we don't we don't have the blue chip picks we know we've traded a lot we've got to make the most of what we got we got to finagle ways to get back in the draft they've both done a nice job of that. I'll tell you those Brooklyn guys Kessler Edwards I've really never seen him play before the other night they looked ready for that moment none of them were phased with David Duke Jr. I think if David Duke Jr. has a jump shot he has a chance to be a decent player they they have both those teams have done a nice job like at the back end of the roster and you mentioned Dayron Sharp like for Brooklyn. If they feel good about his development and what he's doing behind the scenes, that's going to make Claxton far more tradable for them. They're going to feel better about trading Claxton if they know they have Sharp coming up. Let's do a couple more. Give me a name. How about Jonathan Kaminga on the Golden State Warriors? Ooh, I did not expect that. Make the case. case. You make the case. Another guy who fits both criteria we're talking about. Warrior is obviously a title contender. He's flashed some – Great defensive versatility as a young guy. His potential in that sense is an interior finisher on offense. You know, we've seen what Gary Payton the second can do there. Maybe Kaminga can plug into that. Um, 
But if you're Golden State, I, I still I personally feel like they should be seriously looking into Demonte Sabonis and packaging a Wiseman Kaminga type of deal for Sabonis. You you upgrade Looney to Sabonis. We're talking about the very, very clear favorite in the Western Conference here. Do they need Sabonis to win a championship? No. Do they need to make any change to win a championship? No. But you can make a change to increase your odds. And the way Sabonis has kind of been talked about the last couple of weeks with him on the trade block, I feel like he's underrated, Zach. Like, plug him into Golden State the way they whip the ball around, the ball pings around. Mm, that, that, to me, would be very exciting to watch in Golden State. If you put a Nerf gun to my head right now, I would say Golden State does nothing big at the trade deadline. That's just, again, I'm just making a random semi-educated prediction because you just said it. Do we need to do anything to win the title? Maybe not. And I think as long as enough people in that front office and in that ownership suite in particular think the answer is maybe not, I just feel like they've loved this idea of bridging the two eras. And if they're this good and Clay's just coming back, I don't know that they're rocking the boat in a huge way. Sabonis is interesting to me because the passing and IQ fits in. I just, he loves to hold the ball. Like he's a good passer, but does he, does he play with it fast enough? It's a, if you put the right players around it, maybe he does. Like he and McDermott had a lot of that sort of wink, yeah. wink, give That's and go great, kind of stuff way, yeah. go, going on. Uh, and defensively, I, I just think they would be concerned. Is this, can this guy be on the floor when we play? Team TBD, whoever it is, that's our biggest competition. But a lot of those teams in the West, they have big dudes. They have big dudes that are not like going to stretch him out too, too, too far. Whether it's the Lakers or the Suns or Jokic, and no one can guard Jokic other than Aiton, I guess. Um, it's interesting. It's it's an interesting. I don't know what they're going to do, but I would bet on stasis or some small move around the fringes. But I I don't know what you've heard, but I I think it's I, again it's also early for all this. Yeah, I mean, same here, Zach. It's been like that for years. Like, didn't Joe Lakeup even publicly say we want to be the next Spurs a couple of years ago? Uh, I believe it was maybe during the Raptors Warriors series that year, at least, wants to be the Spurs. So, I mean, like, that's what they want to be. If ownership wants to be that, then maybe they maintain status quo and build with the young guys to bridge the era forward. And, and that could very well be the right decision when you have a six foot eight, you know, muscular rookie in Kamingo who's already, already shown good defensive ability. If he could. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. He is a specimen. Yeah, he's yeah. had some finishes at the rim where he's moving fast and up and powerfully, and you're like, oh, my God. He he went from the foul line to the rim before I even realized what the hell was going on. And he plays at the kind of speed they play with. It's interesting. Before the season, I'm sure you heard the same thing. They thought Moody was going to be more ready to help their team than Kaminga, and it's turned out to be yes. the opposite. That Kaminga is more prepared, in their view, to help their team. He is... Ooh, he's a beast. And, and if you're the Warriors, too, like like I said, I'm obsessed with the idea about Sabonis there. I understand the concerns, like you said, defensively, Zach. But yeah, sell me you, on it, it a little yeah. more because I, well, I want you to sell me on it a little more because I'm skeptical. I mean, it's really just rooted in the playmaking ability and just increasing your finals odds more. That That's that's where it's rooted. Finding a better player to increase your final odds further in a year that the championship is pretty open right now. You might be the favorites, but that doesn't mean you need to stop getting better when you have a historic player in Steph Curry and Klay Thompson coming back, the defensive player of the year candidate in Draymond. Why stop trying to get better? That That's where I sort of look at it. But if you're Golden State, you still need to take a long view here. And if you're the Warriors, you're like, why would we trade our young guys when we've turned Jordan Poole 
into a very efficient, good shot-making player for us. When we've turned Gary Payton II into this crazy Swiss Army knife on the offensive end of the floor. By the way, why the, scariest, we, you know? the scariest stat in the entire NBA is that Gary Payton II is shooting 43% on corner threes. If oh, that yeah. dude, and I think like 30-something, 30 30, uh, 31% on above the break threes, so not that great. If that dude can shoot at all, Look the hell out because he can guard like four people at once. I Everybody. am. You can don't even. He, somebody was trying to post him up on a switch the other day in some game I was watching, and I was literally saying to my laptop, "Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it." And sure enough, GP two just took the ball. I was like, "Thanks, thanks for being an idiot. I'm taking the ball." Um, what was I? Oh, Sabonis. So I guess the other way to look at it is how how much of a better defensive player is Looney? than Sabonis because Sabonis is a way better offensive player than Looney. So if the gap on defense isn't that big, then again, have we organizationally made the decision? We just are not playing a center for more than 15 minutes a game when it matters anyway. So why are we going to invest one of our young guys in a big behemoth center when we really want to play Draymond at center or Otto Porter at center, yeah. pick whoever is the center. I, 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 I don't know. I just don't, I don't, I could, they could come off the top rope and surprise me with something big. I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why a guy like Jonathan Kaminga makes for a good X factor. Maybe he's getting some minutes down the stretch or in the postseason, or maybe he's on another team at that point. I think with Golden State, though, you're right, Zach. They're ultimately going to try to bridge it together, keep their young guys. And that's also a bet on themselves, though, because they've had success developing young players. Maybe they're going to continue feeling good about that and trying to do it more. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you one and I, how many do you have left on your list? Are we through your whole list? I I have done five. I've done Beal, Kaminga, Murray, Claxton, Nance, and I have a couple more in my list. Some extras in case you know. All right, I'm gonna take one then. I'm gonna take one then. Um, R.J. Barrett. I like it. That's a good one. Fifteen points, six rebounds, two assists, forty percent shooting, thirty five percent from deep, and more than that. He's been he's been out for a little while now, so he's sort of a, a forgotten in the last couple of weeks. I I just feel like between the Knicks are this the, the Knicks are nineteenth in offense and twenty third in defense, just bad. That means just bad. You're bad on both ends of the floor. On offense, they just seem caught between two different identities, and when you're caught between two different identities, like neither one is going to end up working. They're caught between like the Julius Randle does everything thing that happened last season, and he's just not making enough shots. He's still a good passer; he draws help. And then the whole idea of Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier was add this sort of more dangerous pick and roll attack, pull up jumpers, bend the defense, diversify the offense. And even within individual possessions, you'll see both of those things almost like fighting against each other. Like they take turns within possessions between these identities. And the guy that's gotten lost in the shuffle in both to me is R.J. Barrett because he's not one of their high-volume pick-and-roll ball handlers. He's running 16 per 100 possessions, which is the lowest of his three seasons. They don't let him isolate like they let Randall isolate. So I just feel like he's kind of been lost a little bit in all of this rigmarole with the Knicks. And they need him long-term, whether it's for them or as the centerpiece of a big trade, they need him to be a good player. And I think optimistically, there were times last season where it looked like, could this guy get in the all-star conversation at some point in his prime, right? 
I know this will get Knicks fans angry, but is is it possible R.J. Barrett just isn't that guy who's going to isolate and run a lot of pick and roll for you? And that's okay if he's not, in my opinion. If he's a guy who's knocking down spot-up jumpers for you, attacking closeouts, you know, off of secondary actions, off of a kickout pass, maybe he's running a secondary pick and roll and playing great defense. That that's That's perfectly okay if he's doing that at a high level. But, I mean, like this is this is kind of the challenge here. The Knicks got good fast quicker than people expected them to last season and suddenly rj barrett goes from in year two making a big leap to now it's in win mode in year three he's just not getting more opportunities not getting more chances to fail and get better from it but i mean if you're that nick's coaching staff you're not giving him those isos for a reason he's been very inefficient in those you're not giving him those reps for a reason so i mean maybe for rj is he just not that guy or is it too soon to expect that from him considering what they're trying to be today I would like to see him in the pick and roll more because he gets downhill, which is something that they need from somebody other than Derrick Rose. How bad has Fournier been, by the way? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Zach, would- I, I thought Fournier would be good for Boston. I thought he would be good for New York. After what he did in Orlando, I, I was dead wrong about that, though. I, I Here's a prediction for you. I think we're going to hear Fournier's name in trade rumors starting very soon. I think Who wants him? I, I, I don't know, but I think I – think that will happen. Um, but I, that's just my prediction. Um, I, but he gets – Barrett gets downhill. He's a good passer. And I just feel like I'd like to explore that a little bit more. What do you think of the idea of playing him more at the four? Is, that too, is he too small? I'm, I'm into it. That can work. With the, what, is, what is a position nowadays, Zach? Eh. We just talked about Gary Payton the second. He essentially plays center for them sometimes on offense, the way he's screening and rolling and cutting to the basket. What is what is a position? I can't believe how good. If that guy's really shooting jump shots, it's ridiculous. Uh, just read me the <laughs> read back, me back the, on Gary Payton. <laughs> yeah, read me the names. Oh, let's do more Barrett. I don't know. I don't have much more to say about Barrett. He's just kind of been so eh, and it just feels like he's lost and – I don't know if he could even even make sense for him to play more for because either that means either Randall's at the five or on the bench, and how does Obi Toppin, who I think has made great strides with, with everything but his jump shot, which is, is, is I think he's like eight for forty five on threes or something. Obi's uh, defensive how, evolution how, is wild. It's wild what he's become on defense in just a short really, amount of time. He's really he's just fast. He moves around. He's yeah. active. Um, so I don't know how that fits into it, but I I just need to see more R.J. Barrett. Give me the other names on your on your long list and and. I just want to hear who they are. Um, I mean, I, I had Tyrese Maxey on there. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, like great season for Philadelphia so far. Uh, and I think the, the reason why I had him on that list is because I'm thinking about if you're Philadelphia, is he one of those guys with his production, if he continues getting better, can he alleviate potential pressure from ownership on Daryl Morey to rush to make a deal? Because right now it seems like ownership is saying, Daryl Morey, do what you want. This is all you. You're handling the Ben Simmons situation. He has support to play it patient with Ben Simmons. But if they continue playing 500 basketball or if maybe they slip to below 500 and they're in like the play-in bubble, at that point, maybe ownership is pressuring more to make a move now. Maxie's one of those guys that I think can help you know them at least you know stay around 500 or better, continue succeeding without Ben Simmons, and maybe figure things out closer to February. I mean, what are your thoughts on that with Maxie's role there? He's been awesome, awesome. I mean, has kept them afloat, and I, I, I just, I, I do feel like they're beginning to feel some pressure on the Simmons front, just because 
you know, can we really throw it? Not throw an Embiid season in the toilet because it's not like they're doing it alone. It's 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 a whole big situation, but it does hurt. I think when you know you have a, a an ability to be a potential contender, but you you can't because of availability right now. Who's, who else? Um, also have Brooke Lopez, the back surgery. Oh, he's on my he's on my yeah. long list. Brooke Lopez yeah. is on my long list. Yeah, Brooke Lopez. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Do, do they need Brooke Lopez though? That's why I didn't have him on my top five. Could they they could get to the finals without Brooke Lopez, right? Maybe they need him to win it. I think they need something better than Demarcus Cousins on the big center kind of variety. Their defense without Brooke Lopez has just been okay. Um, but he's on my list for the simple reason. I don't know why nobody talks about the Bucks. It, it's like they're just a championship team hiding in plain sight. I, I guess it's because they just won, so that whole storyline is over. The Giannis, will he sign, will he won't, that's over. Holiday, Middleton, DiVincenzo, Lopez have all missed huge amounts of time, if not the entire season. And it just feels like they've been in this kind of holding pattern. But they're 19-11. and 11. They have the best net rating in the East. They're plus like 13 or something with the big three on the floor. Portis is having a crazy season, like 15 and 10. Connaughton is shooting 43% on a ton of threes. Like they – I and the reason Lopez is on my list is they, they might already be the favorites to come out of the East. I, I think I think because all these West teams are going to have to play each other, they might be the favorites to win the title, period. And if they had healthy Brooke Lopez, I might go I might go all the way there and just say they're the clear favorite to win the title. Bingo. The Bucks are awesome, and no one is talking about them. Bingo. I mean, I'm 100% with you there, Zach. Uh, they're, they're one of those teams where they don't necessarily need a move either, like Golden State. They don't need to make a move. Um, I, I think you know some of the other names on my list, Patrick Williams with Chicago, who's out now, another one of those guys could come back and play an important role, but because he's young, maybe he's a movable piece. Isaac Okoro with Cleveland, who's been much better offensively lately. Same thing there with him. Um, that was my that was my duo. The Okoro Markinen duo in Cleveland was on my list as, as a tandem, just because I feel like Garland, Mobley, Allen is like awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes. If those two other guys, and you just nailed it on a car. I talked about him earlier in the week. If those two other guys didn't bring me enough, I'm feeling pretty good about the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, I think both of those guys are real, really good young players, Okoro and Williams. And with, with Okoro, I'm curious, Zach. I mean, you mentioned Okoro Markin is the guys on your list there, but – can they continue building with all these bigs together with Allen, Mobley, Markinen? Can this continue to work with all those bigs? Is that the way they should continue building with Garland maybe as their only smaller guy on the court? Four four bigish players and and Garland? Uh I think they're going to have to face that decision fairly soon. I mean, the Sexton decision is going to be looming over them. I I think before I think at the trade deadline they'll probably take some calls on Colin Sexton given his free agency coming up. Um Look, the numbers are great on the Markinen, Allen, Mobley trio. It's it's a lot for now. Is with Mobley on a rookie deal, it's not it's not that much money to to three big guys. Eventually, it when Mobley gets his max, um, that's it's crazy that it's like twenty five <laughs> games and like when Mobley gets the super max, it'll be, <laughs> you know, um, uh, it'll be a lot. So we'll, we'll see. I don't think they have to worry about that. Like if I'm Cleveland, I just I just know that Garland Mobley Allen is really good, and like everything else, I can kind of figure out, and those decisions can come in time. The last guy on my list was Tim Hardaway Jr., who's boring to talk about, but has mm. not been good this. Year has not shot it well this year and I just feel like Dallas is is uh, somewhat disappointing 
a little angsty. Um, and I don't know about you, but they've they've set on this on this starting five of of Porzingis, Doncic, Powell, Bullock, and Finney Smith. And Hardaway's been coming off the bench as a way to jumpstart him. I just think Finney Smith, Bullock, Powell is just giving me no juice on offense. It's too many guys who just don't have any dribbling skills at all. I mean, Finney Smith will attack a closeout here and there, but I just think they need to re- revisit Hardaway in the starting five or start to look around at like what other major ways can we shake up our team. And 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 I, I just don't think that starting five have enough, has enough juice around those guys. And I know they still are dying to get the the borderline mythical now secondary ball handler to help Luca out. I mean, who would that be? Is that like going back to Bradley Beal? Is it Beal? Is it Dame? Is it Kyrie? I made up a whole bunch of fake trades that got them C.J. McCollum. Um, some of them involved Kristaps Porzingis. Some of them involved Yusuf Nurkic. They were all big, gigantic trades. I called it the nexus of Western Conference pain, these two teams who are so <laughs> d- d- disappointing. But I, that's the name I look at is they paid him a lot of money. He just hasn't been the same as he was last year. Somebody's just shooting. I mean, the Mads have like – a, a something I don't know if there's a breeze in their arena or something, but no one can. All of a sudden, no one can make any shots. Um, so that's my list. Well, this this was fun, KOC. This was very fun, Zach. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about this Dallas idea for quite some time now. I mean, well, even after the recording here. Enjoy, enjoy that. Uh, tell Vernon to tell Vernon. Tell Ver, I got I got a gripe with Vernon. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell him I'm gonna contact him privately. I have a gripe with Vernon, but I, I you guys. You guys you are tell us all here, Zach. It's okay. No, it's okay. You, you, you guys are uh, uh, my uh, part of my Peloton listening rotation. So thank you for all the entertainment thank you, you, you and Chris provide. And uh, it's good to see you. Hopefully, one of my trips to Los Angeles, we can do something like this in person. If the world doesn't go to hell, Kevin O'Connor, your stuff at the Ringer. I don't even your podcast. You have a video series. You write columns. You are a triple threat. Appreciate it, Zach. This was a lot of fun. Some love him. He's a football god. And some hate him. F*** you, Tom Brady. Can I say that? But no matter how you feel, you know his name. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Papa Brady. But what can we learn from Tom's career about the world and about ourselves? From Religion of Sports and ESPN Plus, this is Man in the Arena. Listen and follow now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.